Good to see you. Merry Christmas. You may be seated. Good to see all of you this morning. Philippians chapter 2 this morning. The book of Philippians chapter 2. While you're turning there, a couple of reminders. We will not be having Wednesday night Bible study until January the 6th. So as I told the folks last week, it'd be great, you know, if you came out, but nobody else is going to be there for a while. So, so mark down Wednesday, January the 6th, we'll be starting a new series. We're going to be letting you know about that Wednesday for the new year. So there's that. Then, obviously, with Christmas, don't forget that Thursday, December the 24th, is our annual Christmas Eve candlelight service right here in the auditorium. It's for the entire family. We'll have candles for all of you and little glow sticks for the children. It's always a great night of singing carols and looking into God's Word for a few moments and just, again, coming to that place where we center on Christ, the real meaning of Christmas. Couple other things. Men, don't forget about the wonderful Bible study that's going on on Saturday for the men of the Oasis. It's a it's sort of character studies, looking at different, different people and different subjects every week. And Woody was telling me this morning that there's more men coming out now than has been, and he's really encouraged about that. And they'd always, there's always room for more. So talk to Woody about that. And then one more thing. And I'm going to be letting you know more about this as the weeks go on. And even I, I've got something to share with the entire church family next Sunday. But I want to wait a week. Uh, but I did want to mention this. Please mark Sunday, January the 24th on your calendar. If, if we have saved the date, and save that Sunday and make sure you are here. You're going to want to be here on Sunday, January the 24th. So we'll let you know more about that again in the weeks to come. So I wanted to take a couple weeks and talk about the spirit of Christmas or Christmas spirit. We hear that phrase a lot during this time of year. And, and many even maybe wonder, does that even exist is the Christmas spirit tangible? Is it attainable? And is it for us as Christians, is it even in the Bible? Is there somewhere in the Bible that God describes for us, if you will, the Christmas spirit? And I believe there is. And I believe it's contained here in Philippians chapter 2. So what I'd like to do this morning to begin with is just have you follow along as I read the first 11 verses of chapter 2 of Philippians. And we're going to cover the first five verses of the chapter this week, and then we'll conclude the next six verses next week before Christmas. Here's what Paul says, and let's be reminded too that Paul is writing this to a local church, just like the Oasis. And he's writing this from a prison cell. He is there because 
of his preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude towards one another that Christ Jesus had. Who, though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Christmas spirit. And notice that Paul is specifically here talking to this local church of believers in Philippi. And he's saying that, yes, the spirit, if you will, the attitude that drew Christ from the glories of heaven to come to earth as the God-man to take on flesh, to go to the cross, to do all of that that we celebrate at Christmas is real. It is tangible. It is biblical. And it's something that shouldn't just exist in Christ's followers at a certain time of the year. It's something that should exist in us and towards each other all through the year. And really when it comes right down to it, Paul would sum it up this way. The spirit of Christmas and the spirit and attitude of Christ can be summed up in these two words. Humility and selflessness. And God is saying to us as his people, if you and I want to live the spirit of Christmas and express that, in a sense expressing who Christ really is to others, then we need to live our lives as Jesus did in humility and in selflessness toward one another. Verse 5 is key. He says, let the same attitude that Jesus had, you have towards each other. Other translations, I love what they say, say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible teaches that you and I, as children of God, have the mind of Christ. Read about it in 1 Corinthians 1.26. Paul tells the Corinthians that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ possess the mind of Jesus Christ. Some of you are going, really? And how can that be? Well, Paul lays out how that is. 
It's through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. God gave us the Holy Spirit of God to dwell within us, and therefore, because God exists in us, you and I, at any time, can have the mind of Christ if we allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our steps, if we allow the Spirit to fill us, to be in control. Now, obviously, too, the Spirit is going to to work with the Word of God as we learn and, and study and read that, too, to sort of even solidify the mind of Christ in our life. But we have that mind. That's not the question. The question is, will we choose to follow the mind of Christ? That's the choice. We have the mind of Christ as Christians through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, but we can choose to ignore or disobey or disregard the mind of Christ that we know and therefore not have the same attitude towards each other. And you'll also notice, I'm sure you did as, as we read this, that, that one of the keys here that Paul wants to see in this local church in Philippi and would want to see in every local church, including the Oasis, is he's saying that where the spirit of unity is amongst God's people, that's where we're really exhibiting the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Christmas. Because it is humility and selflessness that sort of builds unity. It is pride and selfishness that destroys unity amongst believers. It's why even if you'll notice in chapter 1 for a moment, begin following here in verse 27. Notice the words of Paul even in chapter 1 when he talks about this. He says to the Philippians, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in what? One spirit... With how many minds? One. One mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's about being one. When we allow self or pride to get in the way, it destroys the oneness that God wants to see amongst his people. And can I say, because I don't think we can be reminded enough, the devil, the one who seeks to divide us from God and divide us from each other, is always working to destroy relationships and to divide us as God's people. He's always doing that. So that's where, as God's people, we need to be aware that God wants us to be part of a body, his body, the body of Christ, that finds expression in local churches like the one in Philippi and like the one here at the Oasis. And therefore, we should always be aware that what the devil's going to try to do is get us to a place of pride and selfishness because he wants to start working within every church and every body and every community of believers to destroy that oneness that God wants to see amongst his people. And the only way that oneness and unity can be preserved 
is through us laying aside ourselves and laying aside pride. It's why he starts out in chapter 2 with these words. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is, any comfort provided by love, his love for us, and there is, any fellowship in the Spirit, and there is, any affection of mercy, and there is, Paul says, then be a source of joy for me. And what Paul's saying in verse 1 is this. He's saying in, a rhetorical, in rhetorical questions that all these things are true, I can be encouraged by Christ. I can be comforted by his love as a Christian. I can have that fellowship in the Spirit, but it doesn't mean I choose to go that way. But Paul says when we do choose to allow God and our relationship with him to go the way that it should go and transform us and, and encourage us and refresh us and love on us and care for us, then we can be free to truly love on others and be selfless and humble people that provides a unity within the body. In other words, Paul's saying, again, our horizontal relationships with each other is directly affected by what's going on in our individual vertical relationship with God. You tracking with me? If, if I allow God and me to be on the same page and we're in a close relationship with one another, then that's going to positively impact all of the relationships around me. But when me and Christ aren't so close and, and we're not tracking together with God, then my interpersonal relationships with others begins to break down. So that's why Paul is reminding the Philippians, you guys first have to make sure that you are in fellowship and in close contact always with God in your relationship with him because it's through that that you can be energized and empowered and transformed and all of that to be able to, to live earthly relationships with other fallen human beings at the highest level that you and I can. To be able to do supernatural things that you and I on our own could never do. Because how many of us in any local church or any community of believers coming from such diverse backgrounds and all of these things, how could we come together and truly be of one? Only when we let self behind that door and come in with one another and let God take over. And folks, Paul's saying that's the kind of attitude that Jesus Christ had, you see. That's why he could leave the worship of heaven and leave the glories of heaven and the comforts of heaven. And that's why as God, he could take on human flesh and come to earth and be mistreated and be misunderstood and be rejected and go through everything he did for us because it wasn't about him. It was about us. If it would have been about Jesus, he would have stayed there. And if Jesus would treat us the way we treat our relationships with each other, we'd have been in trouble a long time ago. 
because Jesus doesn't walk away from us like we walk away from each other. Jesus doesn't stop working on our relationship with him like we walk away from each other. He doesn't avoid us like we avoid other relationships when things are rocky. He doesn't do that. And so Paul is appealing to the Philippians. And I think there must have been a little bit of disunity in the church. And Paul's calling the church to remember Jesus and what, in a sense, the spirit of Christmas or the Christmas spirit is all about and why it should exist amongst believers, especially at all times. It's why in chapter 4 of Philippians, he specifically calls out two ladies by name in the church at Philippi, and he says, at one time you were close and you were willing to work together, and now he says in Philippians 4, I appeal to you, Judea and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Stop allowing the devil to have his way in both of your lives. Come to agreement in the Lord. Be unified. Lay aside your differences. I want to also point this out. Notice at the beginning of verse 2 of chapter 2 that Paul says he wants the Philippians to complete his joy. It, it literally means be a source of joy for me. Do you realize what Paul's saying there? That how you and I act, react towards one another as brothers and sisters in Christ can be a source of joy for other believers? You can be a source of joy to another believer by the way you live your life. I can be a source of joy to other believers by the way I live. But the opposite of that's also true. That also means then I could be a source of grief or pain to other believers by the way I live. And by the way, especially in this context, I'm treating somebody else in the body of Christ. Paul is saying to them, be a source of joy. I'm here in jail. Give me some joy by letting me hear that you've put aside your differences in that church and that you're willing to come together and work things out and be unified and be like Christ towards each other. Notice what he says then as he continues on in verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. You mean all of us, even though we have our own mind? And again, we come from that we can have one mind? Yeah, how do we do that? Through God, only through God. The, the, the phrase, be of the same mind, literally means to cherish the same views or to agree together. Think if every local church filled with believers would just have that. And then he goes on to say, by having the same love... Mutual reciprocal love, not a one-sided love, but where we're all loving each other and having that give and take as any healthy relationship is because healthy relationships aren't one-sided. Healthy relationships aren't where one person's always giving and the other person's always receiving. In a healthy relationship, there's always give and take. It's always mutual and reciprocal. It's in a sense where people are trying to outdo their love for each other. Paul says, I, I want to see that in the church. 
And then he goes on to say, by being united in spirit. It again speaks of being of one mind, of one accord. And then I love this, he says at the end of verse 2, and having one purpose. In the original language, it literally means moving as one. I love that. It's, it's mutually supporting a common goal. How can you get people in a local church to do that? Well, first of all, as the pastor, I can't. I'd love to be able to wave some kind of magic wand and make it all happen, but it can't. How this comes about is when each of us individually lays aside our pride, lays aside self, and says, I'm here for the greater good. I'm not here for me. I'm, I'm, I'm not here to promote me. I'm here for the greater good of everyone else, and I'm going to exhibit the spirit of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to be part of what God's doing here so that we all can move as one. Now think about that. How many local churches, and some of you have been a part of many local churches in your day, how many local churches even? Let's just reduce it down to that. I'm not even talking yet about the entire body of Christ. That's a whole other issue. But let's shrink it down just to local churches, a little bit more manageable. How many local churches have you ever been a part of where you could walk away from there saying, everybody in that church always moved as one? Total unity. Can I tell you? In 30-plus years, even as a pastor, and in 50-plus years of being part of different churches, this is as close as I've come. I mean, again, we're not, we're not perfect, and we've got a long way to go, but this is as close as I've personally, humanly ever come to being part of a church where there was at least more unity and more oneness and, and more of this kind of stuff exhibited than in any church I've ever been a part of. Because most of the time it's this person's running in this direction and this person's running this, and I've got my agenda and you've got your agenda and we're all running here and there and there's not this coming together and moving as one. But Paul says, you want me to describe the Christmas spirit? This is it. And notice, he's writing to a local church saying, it starts with us, folks. If the world can't see the reality of Christ and the attitude of Christ in God's people and how we treat each other, then how do we ever expect it to be shown out there in the world? That's why Jesus said, by the kind of love that you exhibit and express towards each other, that's how men and women will know that you are my disciples. That's the distinction. That's the distinguishing mark. So notice then how this comes about. How can, how can we be of one mind, of one purpose, of one love? Well, notice verse 3. Instead of, first of all, being motivated by selfish ambition, and literally it means do nothing, not even one thing in the original language from a selfish standpoint. 
motivated by self-interest, selfish agendas. Again, let's stop there for a moment. Paul says, this is what destroys the oneness and unity. When you and I come into a church and where our first thought and our first priority, because the word moved means the leading thought in our mind. That, that's what the leading thought is. The leading thought in my mind is not about myself and my agenda and what I'm interested in when I become part of the church. And yet, when I look out at the landscape of the church today, generally, I even see churches promoting that. Have your own agenda. We'll meet you wherever you are. There's no call for people to lay aside self. No, churches are now even acquiescing and, and, and sort of, you know, promoting that. Totally an unchristlike, unbiblical attitude amongst God. It's why in the church today, people approach being part of a local church from a totally selfish standpoint. When they're out there, you know, Googling and looking for local churches to be a part of, it's not looking for the church that they need to have in their life in order to spiritually grow. It's looking for things that they like, for what they, you know, want, and, and how the church, oh, I agree with that. And, and so they try to find, you know, a church that, that fits them and does all the things that they want the church to do. Well, first of all, I don't know whether you've noticed this or not, but you'll never find any church that does everything the way you want it. That's why I scratch my head when, I ha when people leave here and go, well, you know, I don't like this, or I don't, I said, I'm like, so you go somewhere else, you think you're going to like everything there too? You're never going to find that, because that's not biblical. God doesn't place us into his body, and even into a local body, because of us. It's not about us. Sorry. Paul said, don't bring your selfish ambition into the church. Don't bring your selfish agendas and interests into the church. The way it should work is that none of us get everything we want when we're part of the body. But we get what we need when we're part of the body. You see. And then he says, also lay aside your vanity. Though we hear a lot about self-esteem and self-importance today and how we need to increase it, you don't find that in the Bible either. The Bible says, lay yourself aside and, and your self-importance aside. Again, if Jesus would have had that kind of attitude, then you and I would have spent an eternity in hell. Jesus didn't have that attitude. For God, in all of his glory, to allow himself to be born as a baby? And we're going to talk more about that next week. Really? How humbling. Then who are we to come into his body and start asserting ourselves? And, and be lifted up in some kind of pride to where we 
feel more important and, and what we need and what we want is more important than what somebody else needs and what somebody else wants. How unchristlike, Paul says. Paul says, first of all, then, or, or beyond that, he says, each of you should in humility, in modesty, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about ourselves. What he's saying here is the leading thought in our minds shouldn't be to advance or, or uh, to promote or to make ourselves prominent, but to work on making others prominent, to help them stand out, to help them be promoted, and for them to advance. Now, think about what God is saying here, because this is an important principle. He's saying that if you would trust me and you would use your life to help other people achieve your dreams, or excuse me, their dreams, God will make sure that your dreams come true. But when you live your life seeking to make it all about achieving your dream and you don't care about helping other people achieve their dreams, God is basically going to make sure your dream never is realized. This is why there are so many Christians today who have those unrealized dreams and have that feeling of unfulfillment and unsatisfaction because they're living their life very selfishly. It's about them. And there's story after story after story in the Bible that illustrates this point. If you want even a book of the Bible to read and study that would illustrate the very point I just made, it's a book that, that we just studied with the, the gals here at our church. It's the book of Ruth. It's very interesting that Ruth sought to achieve and help out her mother-in-law with no thought for herself, and Boaz laid aside himself to help out this widow Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, and yet by Boaz and Ruth not thinking of themselves, they ended up actually living their own dream. And being in the line of the Messiah, being the great-grandparents of King David, how were they able to achieve that? Because Boaz and Ruth put themselves first? No, because Ruth put her mother-in-law first, and because Boaz put this poor widow and her daughter-in-law first before himself. Remember, there was another kinsman who was closer to Naomi than Boaz was, but he was unwilling to be the kinsman redeemer and to come in to that family and to help out because he said to Boaz, it's too high of a price. It's going to cost me too much to do that. I'm not willing. It's going to cut into my inheritance. And do you know that that man, whoever that was, has remained nameless because even God did not allow that man's name, whoever he was, to even be recorded in the Bible? All he's called there in the Hebrew is Mr. So-and-so. Because <laughs> Mr. So-and-so was all about him. Boaz and Ruth were all about someone else. And you find this throughout the Word of God. So then Paul goes on to say, 
Each of you should be concerned to look out for, to care for, to regard attentively not only your own interests. So it's not saying, hey, disregard yourself completely, but he says, be looking out, caring for, and regarding the interests of others as well. Well, now here's a question. If you and I aren't living in connection and community with each other like we should, how do we even know what each other's interests are? How can I be looking out and caring for and regarding your interest if I don't even know you and I don't even have a relationship with you? You wouldn't know what my interests are. Well, you do now. Those of you that come to the OAD, you know, yeah, Civil War, brownies, you know, those type of things. <laughs> but I'm just saying that, you know, the, the longer we do life together, and we live in fellowship together, we start to know what each other's interests are. And Paul is saying, as Christ followers, it shouldn't just be about looking after our interests, but looking out after the interests of others. Again, helping others realize their dreams, helping others be promoted. We live in a society today that says, no, look out for number one. If you don't advance yourself and you don't promote yourself, you won't be promoted. You won't get the advancement. You know, you, you won't rise and all of that. And yet, from God's perspective, it's you'll rise in my kingdom when you make yourself low and serve others. Because isn't that what Jesus did? It wasn't about him. Christmas was about us. And that's why he says in verse 5, you should have the same attitude. The word could be also translated mindset, perspective, disposition. Paul is calling all of us as Christians out and saying, listen, our attitude towards one another, our mindset, our disposition, our perspective towards one another should be the same that Jesus Christ had towards us. Selfless. Humble. Jesus didn't say, oh, going down there and becoming a human being, laying aside you know, who I am, my glory. I'm the creator of the world. That's beneath me. What if Jesus would have said that? And he could have. That's what makes Christmas so amazing. It's, it's not about this baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. It's about the God of glory willing to come down from glory and come to this earth and become human for you and I. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the spirit of Christmas or the Christmas spirit. It's a spirit of humility it's a spirit of selflessness. It's laying aside self for others first. And again, I think these words not only are powerful because they're the word of God, but these words had to especially resonate with the Philippian Christians who knew that Paul had written this from a prison cell. 
in a sense, Paul was putting his money where his mouth is, as we say. Look at the sacrifice that he made. The extent that he was willing to go. The price that he was willing to pay to share the gospel with people. And so Paul is calling on the Philippians here. He's saying, you all there at that church in Philippi, stop walking away from your relationships. Stop allowing the devil to divide you and to come between you. And notice too, could I point this out to modern day Christians too? Unlike today, where when people just get upset with each other, they walk away and go to another church down the street. Notice you never find that advice in the Bible. If you're having trouble with a brother or sister in Christ, well, just, just go to another church. Why? Why is that advice not given? Well, because it doesn't reflect the attitude of Jesus. It's not biblical. Because eventually, what God wants us to do is learn how to work through things with each other. Because I can go to another church, or I can walk away from that problem relationship. But guess what? I'm going to come into another relationship. Am I going to keep walking away from relationships that I can't navigate or can't get along with people? Or am I going to finally let God work in me to where I can learn to work through things with people that's the attitude of Christ. All people want to do today is run away from things. I want to run away from that relationship and think that this next one's going to be better. No. You're going to run to people there just like you ran to people here. And God is saying, stop running, stop avoiding. Stop walking away and let me work in your life. Let me produce in your life the mind of Jesus Christ and the attitude of Christ towards each other. Because all of us, if we do have Christ in our life, we should be very thankful that Jesus Christ did not take the attitude towards us that many times we take towards others. Our relationships. He hangs in there with us, no matter what we do to him. He doesn't avoid us. He doesn't stop working and reaching out to us. He never walks away. He never abandons or forsakes us and just says, I'm done with you. I'm going on with somebody else. He works it out. And so Paul says to all of us, not just to the Philippians, but to us, the spirit of Christmas is alive. It's real. It's tangible. It's attainable. It's biblical. How do we achieve it? By having the same attitude towards one another that Jesus Christ had. Let's pray. God, today I pray that all of us grasp this message and get this message. May we not miss 
what Jesus did at Christmas time. And though many times, even as Christians, we focus on Christmas being about giving, and that's part of it, and the birth of a baby in Bethlehem, and that's part of it, sometimes we don't focus on the fact that that baby that was born in Bethlehem is the Lord of glory. That there is no one in the universe higher than he. And yet in humility and in total unselfishness, he laid all that aside, took upon himself human flesh, was willing to come to this earth and be pushed aside and rejected and crucified not for himself, but for us. That's Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. So God, this year, would you impact us more than you ever have with the example of Jesus Christ? And may it be our desire, Lord, to be more like Jesus. To be more selfless. To be more humble. Because, God, you want us to be one. You want us as brothers and sisters in Christ to stand side by side for the gospel. You want us to be of one mind and one spirit and one love. But Lord, when we get prideful and, and when we get selfish, that is destroyed. So God, whatever differences, whatever disagreements, whatever has come between us and others, Lord, it's time to lay those things aside. And for the greater cause of Jesus Christ and his gospel, it is time for me to put my pride down and to work things out. God, build in us the attitude of Christ. Help us to surrender God to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.